Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I want to encourage you, please be here next week if you can. Uh, next Sunday, Andrew's going to share with us, and it's going to be really special. So, let me maybe ask to start with a question. Who of you have ever um, felt really hurt by someone else, really sort of slighted? Uh, you, you felt like someone let you down or someone... Um, treated you poorly, or, or you were overlooked, uh, and 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 then what happens is you sort of get upset with a person, and whenever you see that person again, whether it's a colleague or a family member, you know that anger rises up inside of you. You know that that resentment, that that oh, you know this is not like I was I was poorly treated, and every time I see the person, I remember what happened there and what they did to me, or what someone else did to me, or you know they got the promotion ahead of me, even though I was, you know, first in line, and I, I, I deserved it, I was doing the work, and, and, I can, and I can do the work better, or, you know, sometimes in, in our marriages, you know, with our spouses, you know, we step on one another's toes, and hurt each other, and then we sort of get annoyed with one another, and there's that, that, um, that scratchiness, you know, that, that, that conflict, that something between you that's, that's not right. Anyone of you ever experienced that? Okay. I think all of us have, to some extent or another, you know. And um, it's, it's hard to deal with that. And, and how we... It, the problem is not that that happens and that you feel hurt or that you feel angry or that you feel upset. The issue is what do you do with that? How do you respond to that? And, and in this... Um, story that we're going to read today, and I'm going to read quite a, a bit from um, 1 Samuel 16 and 17. We're going to see how David's brother Eliab comes to feel that way. And, and, and we're, going to, we're going to learn from him how not to respond. <laughs> so um, in, in 1 Samuel 16 verse 1, it says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, what, what happened here was, uh, many of us will know the story of how King Saul was the first king of Israel. You know, he, he committed the sin of presumption. He, um, you know, when God told him to completely uh, destroy the Amalekites, he didn't. Uh, he sacrificed, you know, when... When he shouldn't have, he should have waited for Samuel to come and bring the sacrifice, etc., etc. So he just completely overstepped his boundaries and, and, he, and he rebelled against God. And God rejected him as being king. Um, and Samuel was sad. He was the prophet, so he was the guy who was responsible for anointing you know, people for high office like priests and, 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 and kings and so on. And, and he was sad because he'd anointed Saul as the first king of Israel. Uh, and, and he had such high hopes for Saul. And, and he was sad about this. And God says to him, <laughs> why, why, why are you going on like this? You know, why do you still mourn for Saul? Just, you know, I've rejected him. And then he says, fill your, your horn with oil. And the word there for horn is, is of course, the word shofar, which, which is where we, in the Hebrew, which is where we get our name. And, and there were two things. Um, I think that's, that's an encouragement to us as well. God's word to Samuel is God, God's word to us as well. And there, there were two things that you did with the shofar. You would blow the shofar. 
as part of worship or, um, you know, to announce the changing of seasons, you know, so it's, it's symbolic of worship, it's symbolic of prophecy, to call the the armies up for battle, you know, so our battle obviously not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, so it's a call to spiritual warfare, but then the other thing, so, so you, you blow through the shofar, that's the one thing you do through the shofar, but the other thing is you'd fill the shofar with oil to anoint people for leadership and for, for service, uh, like kings and, 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 and priests and stuff, and, you know, I'm, I think so often in this modern world that we live in, we get so disappointed with leadership. Like Samuel was with Saul. And we mourn for leadership. And what God says is, why are you mourning? <laughs> Fill your shofar with oil. <laughs> go and anoint new leaders. You know, go and anoint leaders who will follow me. Leaders who, who are men and women after my own heart. Go and anoint them. And, and I really think that's part of what we as shofar specifically have been called to do. To do. You know, so God is saying to us, fill your shofar with oil. I'm sending you. Okay? And let's do that and let's see it. I mean, our vision is to reach nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting. Let's all see it as part of our vision in life to raise up leaders. We can all do that at some level or to some extent. And I, and I, and I really feel it's a word from God that, just reinforcing that part of our vision and say, go, you know, fill your shofar with oil and go, I'm sending you. Um, so he says, I'm sending you to, to, to Jesse, to Bethlehem, uh, and one of his sons will be king. So, so he's sort of narrowed down the, the new king that he must anoint, you know, to, to the town of Bethlehem, to the family of Jesse, and one of Jesse's sons. So, you know, God is sort of giving clues, and he said, I'll, I'll show you. And then it says, and Samuel said, how can I go uh, if... If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. You know, if he, if he hears, I'm going to anoint his successor, I'm going to be in trouble. And, and then I find it very interesting what the Lord says. He says, the Lord said, uh, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. Uh, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And... Um, you know, I, I found it very interesting, just sort of as an aside, that, that God is not against withholding information. <laughs> so, you know, when, you, when you're withholding information, you're not putting all your cards on the table, that's not necessarily lying, okay? So God's, God, God says it here to, 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 uh, to, to Samuel. He doesn't say to him lie. He says just take a heifer with you, go and sacrifice, you're going to do it, and when they ask you what you're going to do, tell them you're going to sacrifice, which is true, um, obviously you're going to do more than just sacrifice, you're going to anoint the next king, but you don't have to tell that um, far and wide. And then it says, um, oh, and interesting, it says, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And I think that is so telling and, and so powerful. Whenever someone is anointed, they're anointed for God. Whenever someone is anointed in a biblical sense, they're anointed for God. And who knows that you cannot be a Christian without being anointed. You cannot be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9, if someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. The way you come to belong to Christ is that you are anointed for God. 
In other words, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, if you're born of the Spirit, anointed with the Holy Spirit, then, then you can say, just like David, I have been anointed, not just anointed to have power or to, to, to do certain service, but I've been anointed specifically for God. I've been consecrated to God. My anointing is a sign that I belong to God. We, we forget that. We know that. We know that. But we sometimes forget that, and, and we don't always live it out. And then uh, it goes on in verse 4. It says, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Beth, at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked him, do you come in peace? And just <laughs> interesting, we're going to learn a lot. We're going to see quite a bit about prophecy here as well, and about God speaking. And the first thing that I want you to see and that the elders of Bethlehem knew is that when God speaks, he doesn't always tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> so sometimes the prophet Samuel came to rebuke and sometimes he came to encourage. Both are prophecy. Okay? Um, and the reality is, let's just be honest with ourselves, we like the one and we don't like the other one so much. Or is it just me? <laughs> I think it's all of us. We don't like, so we, we like, you know, when, when, when we sort of feel God's going to speak to us, we, we also want to ask, like, God, do you come in peace? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but the reality is, when God speaks to us, you know, whether He brings a hard word or an easy word, when He brings a pleasant word and when He brings an uncomfortable word, He is God. And he is good, and he is righteous, and whatever he says is what's best for us. I mean, those of us who are parents, we know that, you know, our children also sometimes, you know, sort of when we come to them and, and say, you know, Justin, Ethan, they're like, do you come in peace? You know? And they can sort of hear from your tone of voice whether you come in peace or not. <laughs> But you know whether you come in peace or whether you come with hugs and kisses and, 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 and you know, words of encouragement you know, because they brought a good report card or just because you love them and they're your, your children, or whether they've been naughty and you don't come in peace and you come with a rebuke, you come in love. Both the, the hard word and the soft word are words in love. The one might feel pleasant and the other one might feel unpleasant, but both are God's love. And, and, and we as the modern church need to hear that because we're in danger of trying to change prophecy to only be encouragement, to only be easy words, to only be comfortable words because that is what we like. And we, we're in danger of trying to only receive half of God's love for us because His rebuke is as much His love as His encouragement. Are you open to receive all of God's love for you in that sense? I think God is challenging us to be. Fortunately for the, <laughs> the elders in Bethlehem who said, Do you come in peace? Samuel said, Yes, in peace. <laughs> I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Um, 
When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now, remember, Samuel was the prophet of Israel at that time. He was the guy who really heard from the Lord. Okay? He knew how to hear from the Lord. He'd heard from the Lord many times. His prophecies had been tested and found to be accurate. He proven himself to be a real, a genuine prophet, not a false prophet, but a genuine prophet many times. And when he comes, you know, and he sees the sons of Jesse, he looks at the eldest, at Eliab, and he thinks, this is the man. <laughs> he looks the part. I mean, look at him. He's big. He's tall. He's strapping. He's strong. He looks impressive. Surely, the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. <laughs> uh, and, and, and here's part of the main thing I want us to get today. This is very important. Not every thought that pops into your head is from the Lord. If we think that every thought that pops into our head is from the Lord, we will be deceived. We will miss it. Even a prophet like Samuel, a genuine prophet, had thoughts that were not from the Lord. That were just his thoughts. So you get three kinds of thoughts. Now, why I mention that is because I think the church in general has a prophetic calling. I, I do believe that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. And those who are led by the Spirit of God, and you need to be able to hear the voice of the Spirit to be led by the Spirit. So those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Okay? Uh, so I, th I think that the church is a prophetic community that has a prophetic calling. And I think that is especially true for us as Shofar. I mean, the name Shofar, as I explained, you know, implies that. And therefore, I think it's so important, if we have, have a prophetic calling, that we guard that prophetic calling jealously. Because often it's people with a prophetic calling that become the false prophets. So if you have a prophetic calling, it's all the more important that you don't only encourage prophecy, but that you avoid false prophecy. Okay? Now, many people are taught, you know, when you prophesy, just you know, pray and whatever comes into your mind. You know, if you're busy with the Lord's work, whatever comes into your mind, that's prophecy, just say it. Whatever came into Samuel's mind wasn't prophecy. I mean, he heard from the Lord. He's, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? I mean, it's, this whole passage he's been hearing from the Lord. And then all of a sudden, when he sees Eliab, this thought prophecy jumps into his mind. Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. And that turns out to not be a prophecy. So here's my point. There are three sources of our thoughts. One is from us. Like this thought of Samuel. It came from Samuel. Samuel looked at the outward, he was impressed by what he saw, and he thought, surely this is the next king of Israel. But his thought was wrong. Another source of our thoughts is from the Lord. When the Lord puts a thought in your mind, and then it is a prophetic thought. Okay? And another source of thought, our thoughts is from the devil. A demonic source. Also a supernatural source, but a demonic supernatural source. And I mean, we, we know of many examples of that, even of God's people. 
having thoughts placed into their head that are not from God, that are, that are from the devil. I mean, when um, Jesus, <laughs> it's interesting, in one passage, Peter, Jesus asked, you know, the disciples, who do, who do people say that I am? And they say, you know, John the Baptist and Elijah, one of the prophets returned, um, or something like that. And, and I've always found it interesting that somehow the, the Israelites, who, who were the one nation who, who, who had the word of God, somehow thought that reincarnation or something like that, or, you know, was, was what Jesus explained who Jesus was. But then Peter says, then, then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed king, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this of you. That's not your thought, but my father in heaven, this is from God. This thought comes from God. And I'm sure Peter sort of, his chest swelled a bit and he thought, yes, I'm the man. <laughs> Who is the man? I'm the man. I'm sure he looked at John like that and just said, <laughs> you know. And then Jesus starts talking to them and says, you know, when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And Peter said, whoa, 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 Jesus, hang on. <laughs> Don't say that. You know what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Peter was just heard from God, heard from Satan. And the problem was he couldn't distinguish between the two thoughts. Here's the thing. If we want to be a prophetic community, we need to learn to distinguish between our thoughts, God's thoughts, and the devil's thoughts which he put in our, in our head. Don't trust every thought that is put in your head. Okay. So Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said, he had his thought and then he had the Lord's thought. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the appearance of his height, his appearance or his height. The fact that he's handsome and tall and big and strong, don't consider that. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And really, honestly, this is a lesson Samuel should have learned already. Because, I mean, who was the first king of Israel? Saul. What was remarkable about Saul? He stood head and shoulders above the rest. He was big, he was tall, he was handsome, he was strong. He looked the part. No wonder Samuel liked him. So, yeah, God's not only teaching us, He's teaching His prophet. And through teaching His prophet, He's teaching us. I don't look at people the way, I don't, I don't look at people the way people do. I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. I look at the inward person. And I think it's a challenge to us, especially as modern people, because I don't think there's ever been a generation that is as superficial and as cosmetic as our modern generation. And there's a lot of pressure through media, through the course of this world, to conform to that and just to focus on the outward. And, and, and let's be honest, we're often very affected by it. It touches us. It affects us. And we start thinking that way and we start looking at people that way. We start even looking at ourselves that way. 
and we disqualify ourselves because we're not an Eliab or a Saul that is big and strong and handsome, beautiful or impressive or whatever. We don't look the part. And the good news is that God doesn't look at that, but God does look at the heart. You know, I, I heard a, a, someone say once that, and this was in America, but I, I don't think it's necessarily as far from the truth in South Africa, that, that people spend more money per year on the outside of their heads than on the inside, more than 10 times as much. Haircuts, perms, makeup, you name it. Shaving cream, whatever. Okay? That should not be true of us as Christians. We should spend more effort and even invest more money on the inside than on the outside because that is the way our God looks at us and that's the way our God thinks. We must guard our hearts and, and make sure that we have the right heart towards God. Um, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. Uh, the Lord's, uh, the, uh, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked him the obvious question because God already told him <laughs> one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king. So he knows one of Jesse's sons, but it, not any of those that, that were shown so far. Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And um, I think that's telling. Because the same mistake that Samuel made by looking at the outward, Jesse made, and his sons made by looking at the outward. Because when they heard that one of the sons are going to be anointed the next king... I mean, they didn't even consider David. They're like, oh, we know it's not going to be you. You're the runt of the litter. You're the youngest, you know. You're small. You're, you're a teenager, you know. I mean, probably it's going to be Eliab. Might be, you know, one of the others, but definitely not you. You can stay and watch the sheep, you know. Don't even waste your time, you know. Don't, don't bother. And... Now you can imagine with that expectation that Eliab had, you know, coming and thinking, you know, I'm the biggest, I'm the oldest, I'm the first in line, I'm the tallest, I'm the most handsome, I look the part, I sound the part. He probably had a deep baritone voice, you know, so he sounded like he had a lot of authority or something like that, you know. He was one of those guys that, that could have been a TV presenter, you know, if he'd lived in the modern era, probably. But imagine he came with that expectation you know, sort of strutting in front of Samuel, you know, walking past and thinking, yes, my time has come, you know. And then Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen him. He's like deflated completely. And then David gets called. And, and just by the way, I think part of what God liked about David, because in the New Testament, David gets called a man after God's own heart. And he's a man after God's own heart because he had a heart after God. 
And, and, and part of that heart was expressed in the fact that he was a shepherd. Initially to sheep, but eventually to people. If you have a shepherd's heart, because God is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David knew that. And he was a man after God's own heart because he had a heart after God and he had a heart like God, which is a shepherd's heart. If you have a shepherd's heart, if you care about people and if you set your heart to take care of people, you, like David, even if people discount you, God will not. Even if people leave you out, God will not. Even if people ignore you or forget you, God will not. Because his heart is a shepherd's heart. A heart of love for people. To take care of people. And if your heart reflects his heart, he will notice you. So he sent for him. So, oh, sorry, Samuel said, send, send for him for we will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn, the shofar of oil, and anointed him, David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So, I mean, you can just imagine not only Eliah, but all David's older brothers, the expectation... Have been, has been disappointed, you know, and been subverted, and, you know, where they thought, okay, they're going to get the acknowledgement, they're going to become king, they're going to be anointed. They were not only disappointed, but surprise, surprise, the one who they thought would not be chosen was chosen and anointed in their presence. And, and just think how slighted they must have felt. Just think how disappointed they must have felt. Oh, does that mean David is better than us? Does he think he's better than us? You know, and then if we read in 1 Samuel 17, it says, Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up the, uh, and set out as Jesse had directed him. And, and there again, I just want to highlight this. You can again see David's shepherd heart. Even when he has other responsibilities that take him away from the sheep, he still makes sure the sheep are taken care of. I think we can learn a lot from that. He reached the camp, because what was happening, the Philistines were attacking, and we know the story of Goliath coming out to challenge Israel and to, to curse them and to, to curse their God and to, to, to defy them, you know, to their face. He reached the camp as the army was going out uh, to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawn up, were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with a keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were as as they were talking with as he sorry as he was talking with them Goliath the Philistine champion from Gath stepped out um, from his line and shouted his usual defiance and David heard it whenever the Israelites saw the man they all fled from him in great fear and I mean Goliath Apparently, if you convert the, the numbers, Goliath was nine foot six and a quarter. That's big. <laughs> That's very big. That's like two and a half meters. And he wasn't like 
willowy and thin like a basketball player. It was thick through the chest and the shoulders. I mean, he's, if I remember correctly, his, his spear alone weighed something like 50 or 60 kilograms. Now, if, if you're strong enough to pick up with one hand a spear that weighs 50 or 60 kilograms and throw it, you're not just big, you're strong. And um, so they, they shrunk back in fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps uh, coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done uh, for the man who kills uh, this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You, you came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I, now, now what have I done? <laughs> the cry of younger brothers everywhere through the ages. Now what have I done? <laughs> they said, David, can't I even speak? <laughs> and then tu- some of you can relate to that. And then turned away and someone, uh, to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And what what I want you to see there is is Eliab's response. Immediately when he heard David speaking, he, he burned with anger. And if you can just bring up the next slide, there's there's a there's a process. If you have if you carry around things bitterness, resentment, anger in your heart. If you feel, the, the, the first thing that, that comes is, is, is there's a perceived slight. You feel like you've been slighted, okay? You feel like, and, and that's what Eliam clearly felt. He felt slighted. He felt embarrassed. He felt like what he deserved had been given to David. And every time he saw David, he burned with anger. So there's a perceived slight, and, 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 and there's an there's a emotional response. Anger. Okay? And so, so, but there's the perceived slight, and, and what happens is, you know, and, and why I call it internal propaganda, is because, you know, this whole Ukraine war thing has been on my mind, and I've been watching some of the, the video clips on YouTube and so on, and, and just seeing what an important role the propaganda plays. Because the whole world is watching this play out because, you know, people are walking around with cell phones, you know, and, and video recording the bombings and hospitals being bombed and all that kind of stuff, you know, civilian targets being bombed by, by Russia. Yet, more than 70% of people in Russia don't believe that that's happening because Vladimir Putin has, you know, kicked out all the independent media and through the state-owned media, he's you know, saying, no, it's a humanitarian 
mission, a special military operation, and they're going to liberate the oppressed um, Ukrainians. You know, they're going to denazify Ukraine because there are right-wing nationalist Ukrainians who, who are like Nazis oppressing them. And it's obviously he's appealing back to the Second World War and the emotions of the Russians because of how much they suffered and how many millions of Russians were killed by the Nazis during the Second World War, you know, in the siege of St. Petersburg, you know, Stalingrad, which was St. Petersburg back then. Uh, and he's using that, appealing to their emotions. Um, what is propaganda? Pro the definition here says, in, uh, propaganda is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote a political cause or point of view. And 70%, more than 70% actually of Russians believe that. And they believe that they are under threat from NATO, which is encroaching more and more on their territory. And Vladimir Putin is right, and this is a preemptive strike, and he's defending Mother Russia, and um, you know, he's only doing the right, he's not bobbing um, civilian targets, and, and they've been, they're playing nice. <laughs> and they are actually the liberators. Now, I mean, if you look at how the war unfolded, and this is very interesting, they thought they were going to go in there, and here's the amazing thing. Vladimir Putin thought they were going to be received with open arms, celebrated, and the Ukrainians are going to cheer them, and they're going to march into Kiev, they're going to overthrow the Ukrainian government, and they're going to put a puppet government in place. They really thought that. I mean, you can hear the radio interceptions from, from you know, the, the, the Russian forces where they say, that, well, we didn't actually know what we we're going to do, we just thought it's going to be over in a day or two, three days max. Now it's a month later, and not only have they been stopped, they're being driven back now. And you know what the problem was? Part of the problem, I mean, there are many problems, but part of the problem was Vladimir Putin started believing his own propaganda. <laughs> because here's, here's what we do, and, and that's why what I'm referring to with that internal propaganda. When things happen to us that hurt us, that make us feel slighted, we tell ourselves stories about it. We, we explain it to ourselves. We talk to ourselves about it. We do propaganda. And the reality is we're all, because of our fallen sinful nature, we tend to make ourselves either the hero of the story or the victim of the story, never the villain. And the problem comes in when we start believing our own propaganda, like Vladimir Putin did. But Putin's not the first one to use propaganda. I mean, the devil has been using it for years. And something that shocked me a lot about this whole propaganda campaign, and obviously there's a lot of it on the internet from, you know, Russia's really, you know, pushing their, um, their agenda, you know, and, and, you know, trying to make themselves look as, as though they're the victims and the heroes of the story. I, I went onto a, um, a YouTube channel where, we, we, I think it was ENCA, one of, one of the South African uh, channels that were reporting um, about the, the Russian ambassador that was going to sort of speak in South, to South Africa, that was going to speak and explain, you know, what was going on. And it didn't shock me that the Russian ambassador 
you know, spouted the propaganda and, 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 you know, did the whole spiel. But what did surprise me and actually shock me was in the comment section where I read how many South Africans believe that. And, and to a certain extent, I could, when I check the names, it sort of looked. Now, I, I don't know whether they're trolls. I don't have enough, you know, I'm not enough of a hacker to be able to check, you know, whether it's real stuff, you know. So it might be trolls, but it looked real to me, you know. And when I checked, like, it, it looked like predominantly black South Africans who, who, who sort of believed this and said, yes, you know, Russia is right, Putin must show the West, and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and even repeating the Russian propaganda. Yes, you know, Ukraine must be denazified, you know, and... You know, all that kind of stuff. And, and it really shocked me how many people in South Africa were repeating Putin's propaganda. And then I thought about it, and I thought, well, I suppose it's not that surprising. Because, number one, the ANC has always had a very close relationship with Russia. I mean, many ANC leaders were trained in Russia during the struggle and supported by Russia during the struggle. So, you know, there's that connection. Um, the ANC also sort of leans over to the Marxist side. So, ideologically, there's a connection. Uh, we're part of BRICS, which includes Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. So, so we have established trade partnerships. You know, and, and no wonder David Mabuza, you know, said, no, this whole war is NATO's fault, you know, not Russia's fault, NATO's fault. Because there's a close connection there. And, and so the problem is not just that, like Putin, we sometimes believe our own propaganda. You know, we, we sort of tell ourselves, you know, something happened, someone hurt us. I don't know if this ever happened to you, and, and you, you sort of work yourself up, you know, you tell yourself, you know, they did this and that, and, you know, this is what I should have said to them, and, you know, didn't they even consider this? And you talk to yourself, sometimes even out loud, you know, you sort of, <laughs> you, 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 you talk your propaganda, and, and then you start believing it. And then the next time you, you get to that person, you're all fired up, you're all worked up. And, 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 and you're angry, you know, like, like Elab, your, your anger burns for this person. And you start saying, I, I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. And you said this to me and you did this to me. And the person's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I realize how you could have understood it that way. And I, I didn't mean it that way. I'm so sorry I hurt you. And all of a sudden you, you realize all these things that you've been telling yourself about this person wasn't true at all. That was just your propaganda and you believed it. And you started treating and thinking about the person the way that you spoke to yourself with the assumptions you made and you became so angry. Has it ever happened to you? We believe our own propaganda. But then the, the problem is also we repeat the devil's propaganda. Because the devil comes, and like with Peter, and like with Judas, and like with all of us at some stage, he starts dropping seeds, little propaganda seeds in our heads. And then when we believe them and we start repeating them, we start seeing the people the way he sees them, not the way God sees them. And it helps if, like the ANC, you have an existing relationship with Russia and with Putin. It's easier to repeat Putin's propaganda. If you have an existing relationship with the devil, it helps. You, the one person in this whole story who actually, in a sense, had the right to be offended was David. I mean, he was the one who was not even considered. He was the one left taking care of the sheep. If anyone had the right to be offended, it was David. And yet David wasn't offended. And I'll tell you why, I think. I'm speculating here. But what do we know about David? What was he doing while he was tending the sheep? Worshipping and praying and spending time with God. His connection with God 
was way stronger than any connection with, he had with the devil because he spent so much time in the presence of God. And what he heard God say about him and about the people around him, that was what he was repeating in his head. Whereas Eliab clearly didn't spend as much time with the Lord. And the devil could come in and drop those seeds, those propaganda seeds, and he could start repeating what the devil was saying to him about David. You're conceited. You're arrogant. You have a wicked heart. Now, um, when you start thinking that you know what other people are thinking, you know you're stepping into the realm of propaganda. Because only, there's only one who can read thoughts, and that's God. Even the devil can't read thoughts. He can plant thoughts. He can't read them. Okay? Only God can read thoughts. And when we start thinking, yes, it's when we start judging not only people's actions but their motives, then we know we're moving into the area of propaganda. And then we start ascribing motives to people, evil hearts, conceited pride, because we think we know what they're thinking. And then we know we're entering into propaganda. We're believing our own propaganda, or we're believing the devil's propaganda, and we're repeating it. What do you tell yourself about yourself? Because often the devil's propaganda is against you. I mean, we heard it in the words this morning. You know, you feel unworthy because why? You believe the devil's propaganda about you. You're useless, you know. God's not going to look at you. God's not going to love you. God doesn't care about you. No one cares about you, in fact. You must look out for number one. If you don't look out for yourself, no one's going to look out for you. Propaganda. Or do you repeat what the Lord says about you? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and proved it by giving himself for me. What do you tell yourself about yourself? And what do you tell yourself about other people? Do you, like Eliab, say, he's conceited, he's arrogant, he has a wicked heart? And then become angry? Or do you say, she's a child of God. She made a mistake, but she didn't mean it. Jesus died for her, so she's precious. I just want to read you um, something quickly that um, C.S. Lewis wrote. Now, think about this. Eliab thought all those things, and, and who knows how many months, weeks or months, or even years, I don't know how long the time period was, he, he was sort of, you know, working himself up and, and, and listening to his own propaganda and the devil's propaganda and um, who knows? But he didn't know whom it was that he was dealing with here. David was going to be the next king of Israel. And not only the next king of Israel, but the, from his line, the Messiah would come. When we believe our own propaganda about others and make them out to be the villain and ourselves to be the victim or the hero of the story in our own heads, do we know whom we're dealing with? especially when we're dealing with other children of God, just like David was anointed, guess what? Your Christian brother and sister is also anointed, also has the Holy Spirit. 
Just like David was a big deal to God, so your Christian brother and sister is also a big deal to God. In fact, C.S. Lewis says, it may be possible for, uh, for, each, for us, each of us to think too much of our own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for, for, for us to think too often or too deeply about that of our neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or, on the other hand, if, if, if they get saved and they receive the glorified body and become like Jesus. Or, else, a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all plays, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object present to your senses. When we deal with one another, let's not believe our own propaganda and let's not repeat the devil's propaganda. When we deal with ourselves, because what is true of our neighbor is true of us, Let's not believe the devil's propaganda about us. And let's not repeat his propaganda about us. Let's not be like Eliab. Boiling in your own bitter juices. But let's be like David. Processing these things in the presence of God. And taking one another seriously. And loving one another even in our thoughts. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.